When have you felt the most loved? I was doing some research over some uh, memorable engagement stories. And there was a couple flying in a plane over a beach when the couple could look out and the wife see, will you marry me? Had to be a good moment. I'm a movie theater guy, and so I heard also of an engagement where uh, they were sitting before the movie, and you see the trailers, and on the movie screen was the, the trailer of their love story. Uh, all these photos, all these memories, and then the question, will you marry me? Good moments. You know, we can feel loved by receiving something. Maybe there is something that was given to you that says, man, that person really gets me. They really love me. It's what I recognize when giving our, our cell phone to our daughter. Uh, I think she never felt more love than receiving the cell phone. Maybe for you it was a, a ring or a house or a car. Maybe you was something uh, different as a child. Another way to feel loved is by hearing some words. If someone ever wrote a note or said exactly what you wanted to hear, what you were striving to be, and they called it out, those words can leave an impact. I consider this when watching that musical, Hamilton. There's a song called Burn, and this is what the singer said. Uh, you and your words flooded my senses. Your sentences left me defenseless. You built me palaces out of paragraphs. You built cathedrals. Oh, the impact of words, right? When have you felt most loved? One of my very favorite stories of love happens to be a story set in Denmark. And perhaps one of the reasons I love this story is because it involves a pastor and his two daughters. Now, this pastor has gone on, and his two daughters have tried to carry on the congregation there in Denmark. And while they are there, they have a visitor from France named Babette. Babette was found through an acquaintance of these sisters, has come to work as a housekeeper and a cook uh, for the congregation there in Denmark. Well, the sisters have bad news to share. Uh, the sisters say that they have no money to pay Babette. That's okay. She stays and she works for free. For 14 years, she cooks and she cleans. She, she keeps the house magnificently. The story culminates, though, as she hears she's won a lottery back in France. There in Paris, a friend has put her name into the lottery every year, and one year she won 10,000 francs. I'm not sure exactly how much money that is. I'm going to call it $10,000. And she has an idea what to do with this money. Her idea is this, that she is going to cook for those people a proper French meal. Well, the sisters agree, and in the series of weeks, uh, boxes and crates come in from France. All these goods, crate after crate after crate, and it's mind-boggling to the sisters and to the congregation. And then the night arrives, and here they are at the feast. And if you've ever experienced food euphoria, if you've ever experienced all the tastes coming together in such a, a great way, it created a magic moment. In fact, it was so powerful that in the congregation, it, it helped to quell some of the grudges that were going on as people got along once again. It was such an outpouring of love. Such a magnificent meal that one of the guests there had happened to gone to France and said, I remember a meal like this in Café Anglaise uh, by a world-renowned chef there. And the reveal is that Babette was that world-renowned chef. 
who had happened to be the housekeeper for the last 14 years preparing this feast. When it was all said and done, the sisters were like, well, we know you're probably going to establish your life back in Paris. We so much thank you for your time and thank you for this meal. And then she dropped the bomb. She said she spent every last franc on that meal. She's penniless once more. She's got nothing left because she gave it all to create this moment for the congregation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing all this for others when you could have done something for yourself? Can you imagine? We've gathered actually for a better story. See, we've gathered to hear about our Savior Jesus who came to this earth and we couldn't pay him. And yet he worked every day. And when he could have lived only for himself, it's then that he gave it all. As he dies on the cross to provide forgiveness for all of our sins. See, our church is centered on a better story of love. And that's why we're so glad when anyone comes. Because they're going to get a feast of love beyond what Babette prepared. To know they have a heavenly father. To know they have peace right now. Forgiveness of sins. Life and salvation. This is what Jesus brings And some of you already know this. For some of you, it's the reason you came. But what if we, so inspired by the love of God, could give others a taste of God's love? What if he could use us so that in us they might see glimpses and glimmers of Jesus himself? That's the opportunity. How God could work through us. In fact, we talked about this with our teens. We just had an overnight at Camp Manitoba. And one of my favorite new phrases for uh, anti-bullying is this, that kind is the new cool. And I just think that's really, really good. In fact, um, I, I, I was having some Christians in my high school, and uh, I, was, I was thankful that there, there were a certain group that, that they, they lived this. That then in my high school, as, as sinful as we are, they, they still presented uh, the kindness in a great way as they lived for Christ. That's also our opportunity, not only if you're in high school, not only if you're a teen, but if you're an adult, if you're younger than that, to to make sure that we lead with kindness. A theologian named Chrysostom, he said what this could do in the world. I love this quote by him. He said, as a spark which falls into the sea hurts not the sea, but is itself extinguished, so let anything evil befall the loving soul, and it will be soon extinguished without disquietude. In an age of outrage, where everyone's upset from something, if you were here last week and you heard of anger, and we considered how relevant that was, what if we on the other side could be that sea? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, as they meet us with patience, love, and forgiveness, we could quiet the storms that are so very prevalent in this world. That's what I want to talk about with you this morning. And so to get into things, we are in the book of Corinthians, and um, uh, just curious, how many of you ever been to a wedding? Raise your hands. All right, so pretty much everyone. Uh, And that means that you have heard this lesson. 
Uh, these words are some of the most poetic, some of the most beautiful that you will ever hear in all of the Bible. And, and, and so Paul here, he just goes on about love. Now, he, he centers it after a conversation of gifts. He had just talked about how God gives a variety of different gifts to the body of Christ. And that is very true. But then he says, you know, the greatest thing, though, regardless of what you do, regardless of your giftedness, is what is in your heart. That you can be the best at something, you can wow the world, but if you do not have love, you are missing it, friend. And so he goes on and on about what love is and why it matters. And so in an honor of the word of God, can I invite you to stand as we just hear these, these beautiful words? 1 Corinthians 13 says, So if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Because out of all these three, God identifies himself even as love. Before you sit down, could you turn to a neighbor and say, love looks best on, on Jesus? Love looks best on Jesus? Please be seated. Do you hear what happened on Mars? Yeah, we got there. We got there, friends. Uh, took a little bit. Um, I remember going to the John F. Kennedy Space Center, and uh, their uh, going to Mars was just a pipe dream at that time. They were telling all that it took, all the time that it would take, and, and finally, uh, Perseverance landed. Uh, here's a picture of that rover. Seven months. So Perseverance is aptly named. Seven months to figure out how to get to Mars. Wow. Well, my mind uh, kind of brainstormed, and I want to imagine a hypothetical with you. Uh, let's say we have a world-ending apocalypse. Maybe asteroids are coming, you know, this way. And uh, let's say that someone from Amazing Love figures out how to send humans to Mars and how to live there forever. Um, would that be a really great thing? If someone from Amazing Love basically saves the human race, yeah, pretty good? I think that'd be really cool. Maybe we'd say, you know, we, we know them. Maybe we'd get like a better spot on Mars. I don't know. Uh, I think that's a really cool hypothetical. Hopefully we don't need it. Um, my mind is filled with different hypotheticals. Let's also say uh, that at Amazing Love, we have someone who is uh, so brilliant um, in the medical field uh, 
um, that they're able not just to find a cure for uh, COVID, uh, but a cure for cancer. And they came from Amazing Love. We know them. We prayed for them. And, and that would be a really big deal. Yeah? Uh, cure for cancer? Or let, let's go just a little bit more. I, I'm having fun with these hypotheticals. Uh, let, let's say that uh, here at Amazing Love, there's someone beyond Pastor Bloomer who God uses as a missionary and is able to share the gospel in such an incredible way uh, that pretty much everyone has heard of our ministry, everyone has heard of Jesus, more importantly, uh, that, that now everyone has heard the gospel because of the ministry of amazing love and someone who came from here. Wow. Oh, one, one final one. Let's say that there's someone so financially gifted and has such a way with economics that at amazing love, we've eradicated poverty. Uh, we have figured out how uh, never to create uh, poverty in any country uh, because of all the gifts uh, that were given to this individual here at Amazing Love. Uh, those would be really cool things. So we saved the human race, we cured cancer, we eradicated poverty, and we shared the gospel throughout the ends of the earth. Really good, right? Successful ministry? Paul says you can do all those things, tick every one of those boxes, and if at the end of the day, there was no love behind it, at the end of the day, if all it was was self-seeking, if at the end of the day, you didn't care about people, guess what you did? Nothing. Now that, that's an incredible concept. You've done nothing. In fact, he even takes it further. He says, you are nothing if love was not behind it. Here again, the words that Paul says, if I have, and these are his hypotheticals. If I have the gift of prophecy, let's say I know everything that's going to happen in the future. When Jesus is coming back, I even know more than that. I know it all. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that would be incredible. If I have a faith that can move mountains, I've always wanted to do that, right? Heard about it. Never done it. Uh, but do not have love. I am nothing. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first takeaway. Without love, the greatest of works, what people would prop up, what would wow them, means nothing. And here's what this means. If you're in high school, and let's say God has blessed you to be popular and cool, you could be the coolest cat in high school, have all the records in every sport, everyone knows your name, but if you are not known for loving people, God says you're up to nothing. For adults, what this means is that if you are successful in business and you know how to make a profit, you know how to make a butt, buck, you know how to treat your clients well and, and you know how to interact with people and, and you make a ton of money and good products, but at the end of the day, if in your heart you didn't actually care about them, eh, didn't really do anything. If at Amazing Love, our goal was just to make more church people, who could pray like us and act like us, who could serve like us and read the Bible like us, but at the end of the day, if we didn't actually love them and care about them, what did we really do? Because the greatest of works without love is nothing. But then if that is true, and I flip it on its head, What's also true is that if I do even the simplest of acts out of love, it matters. 
That I don't even have to have a profound poem written for someone. I can say a very simple word to someone like, you're good at, or I like that, or, or I'm proud of. Um, when I use those simple words, but I have love behind it, that matters. And that can stick and resonate with people longer than the grandest displays. In fact, I recognize uh, the impact of love by scrolling through the Facebook feed, and every now and then you see something good. I wanted to share with you just a very simple act of love uh, that I think made a difference in someone's life. Uh, so here it is. So I'm not sure that makes news headlines, but I bet for that lady it did. I bet for that lady that act made a difference. And for him to have received also the reciprocation of love, these are the things that make an impact. They can be small gestures. 
You don't have to do a grandiose thing in order to make an impact when it comes to love. And so as we continue, Paul describes what love should look like. He says it is kind and it is patient. It is persevering and protecting. It keeps no record of wrongs. It is not self-seeking. All of these things. And as we hear the descriptors that Paul is giving us of love and what should be done, what I find is that God's love is counter-cultural. What I find is that not many people want to act in this way. What I find even in myself is the rejection sometimes of this way. When you look at the news, you can find always examples of those who don't love very well. Every now and then I hear of different things when it comes to celebrities. Uh, I recently learned about uh, Britney Spears. And uh, here she was trying to go into a restaurant when she had a young child and just camp out from the paparazzi. And instead of the restaurateur protecting her, uh, gets paid to let the paparazzi in as she definitely was struggling. Or think of other news stories you hear. If you hear Bieber sing of when he was a young child and everyone left him alone and just laughed at his idiocy. Uh, when you think of uh, all the common things that uh, go on in this world. And then as described last week in anger, how, how it's common to be angry. How it's common to write people off. How it's common to hold a grudge. Instead of realize that everyone is a complex mixture of both good and bad at the same time. Man, love is so countercultural. And to let you know how well you're doing with love, an exercise you can always do with these words is put your name into these words. So let me try it with a name like Bob. I could say, well, Bob is patient and Bob is kind. Bob doesn't envy or boast. Bob is not rude or self-seeking. Bob is not easily angered. Bob keeps no record of wrongs. Bob always trusts, always hopes, and perseveres. Bob never fails. Now, I wish there was a Bob like that. Uh, there's some really good Bobs, right? Got, got a couple of them here today. They're really good Bobs. Um, but Bob, can we always say these things? Yeah, if I put pastor in there, it wouldn't ring true either. And so when we consider the love that God wants of us and then who we actually are and how we struggle it highlights again the beauty of Jesus, our Savior. Because there is only one name that can replace love here. Not Bob or Pastor. It is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is patient. When he was preaching and the disciples said to the little kids, no, 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 don't disturb him. He said, let the little kids come. Don't hinder them. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Jesus didn't boast. He was before the authorities of the day, Pontius Pilate and Herod, and he could have said what's what. I am the king of kings and lord of lords, and by the way, someday you will bow, and by the way, someday you will see uh, who you were dealing with. But he just says, my kingdom's not of this world. Jesus, who is filled with compassion, who looks at people who are doing all sorts of things, maybe struggling with anger, maybe struggling with running after idols, and instead of uh, looking at those people and saying, well, soon they're going to get what they deserve and, and they're going to know what's what, um, he has a heart that goes out to them. He says, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, who pays the price so he can keep no record of wrongs, 
and proved it even as he was being nailed to the cross and says, Father, forgive them because he knew what he was up to. He was going to make sure there is peace between sinners and a holy God. One of my favorite pictures during Lent is when Jesus is hanging on a cross and, and you can imagine the pain that he's in. And if you've ever been in, in, in intense pain, it's very hard to think of anything else but that pain. But during that moment, he looks at his mother and in that moment says, woman, here is your son uh, to the disciple John. As he's giving his life, what is he doing? He's providing and protecting, even in the midst of all that he is going through. Do you see it? There is no one better than Jesus. There is no greater love than the love he displays because love is who he is. But friends, what if so inspired by this example of love, we would be inspired to love as well? You know, as we continue on, I, I want to tell you of an experience I had. When I graduated from seminary, went to um, Israel and Jordan, saw the Holy Land, and uh, I saw one of my favorite uh, scenes from a movie. The, if you ever saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I know I'm dating myself here. Young kids are like, what? Right? Um, well, anyway, great movie, and it culminates at a place called the Treasury in uh, Petra, Jordan. And I actually had opportunity to uh, go and walk inside the Treasury um, had an opportunity to see uh, the houses they built there in Jordan. Uh, really, really incredible experience. Uh, the only problem is while I was there, and we were there for like two hours, uh, they said that there was something ten times bigger than the treasury. And then I also heard, but we don't have time to visit it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, talk about burying the lead or like never giving me the lead. Like, why, why aren't we there? Right? Like, uh, probably never going to come back to Petra. Uh, why aren't we there? Uh, they had a place called the monastery, and, and they're like, it, it's like the whole mountain, right? And, and I'm like, man, I, I'm just getting a, a taste. That's all. We're, we're not going to get like the whole thing. Like wanted to run like the two miles to get there, but no, couldn't do it. And, and I bring this up uh, to make a point. When you're dealing with people, even the best of people, are only the treasury. When people are operating at their best, when you know love, they're only giving you hints and tastes of what God is like. And, and so your heart goes out to, to your kids and, and to your spouse and, and to those that you miss, but you need to know there is the monastery that you will someday experience. And so Paul writes about this, and he says, you know what, you only know in part, you've only been to a little bit of it right now. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And so a takeaway is this, that as good as love gets on earth, the best is still to come. You have opportunity for all eternity to explore the greatest thing there is, which is the love of our God. You know, Paul, uh, he doesn't compare it to the treasury and, and to the monastery. No, he compares it to that of a mirror. And so uh, at, back in the day, mirrors were, I guess, not as glossy. It was kind of hard to make out who it was. It kind of reminds me of, uh, like, looking in a circus mirror, if you've ever been to there. 
And, and, and here, if, if, you, if you look, you can try to see, I think it's a guy, I think he has some facial hair, but I don't really know. I know we've moved beyond circus uh, mirrors. Uh, we're in an age of filters. Uh, so if you've used Snapchat and you're a dog and, and the tongue comes out and, you know, you can kind of see who you are. Um, this came to a height, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, of a, uh, a court trial on Zoom uh, where a guy had a cat filter on and uh, he had to just say, I'm not a cat. Uh, did you hear about this? No, I'm not a cat. Anyway. And so with a filter on, I think hopefully you can identify his eyes, maybe, although this cat seems pretty apparent. Uh, anyway, um, that's what we are compared to God. On our very best days, at our very best moments, when we are filled with the Spirit, we are but a circus mirror of the love of God. We are but a cat filter of what he must look like and how he is. For the reality is that when it comes to human beings, we can only give glimpses of the love of God. Just glimpses. But what if you and I made a concerted effort to try to straighten the circus mirror? What if you and I tried a concerted effort to take off that cat filter and put on a smaller one so they could start seeing God? That is one of the greatest purposes for your life right now. You know, I love this quote from Luther. He said, a Christian lives not in himself alone, but in Christ and in his neighbor. In Christ through faith. In his neighbor through love. So before we go, two quick tips on how to love well. You ready for this? This is a practical side. The first one is this, that I believe we should remember Love is best as an action, not a feeling. If you are waiting to feel it, you may never love. If you are waiting to feel like being kind, feel like being patient, feel like being not boastful and not self-seeking, and feel like I don't want to keep a record of that wrong, you may never show love in your life. Love is a behavior. It's a choice to act. You know, I consider this when it comes to all the snow, and you saw the picture of them in Nashville. Well, even worse than Nashville was Texas. Uh, in Texas, they don't know what to do with this white stuff. And uh, it led the power grid down for days, and I uh, don't know what to do on the roads. And so we had a church in Texas that needed supplies, and uh, there's a great pastor, Pastor Ski, who got a bunch of water, right? Um, one of the needs that we have. and uh, Just was thrilled that people were willing to donate water from one of our sister churches. And, and when, I, when I look at this donation, here's what I don't know. I don't know how the people who gave this were feeling when they gave it. Right? I don't know if they were having a good day or a bad day when they gave. I don't know if they're rich or poor when they gave. Um, I don't know if they, uh, again, were morning people, night people. I, I don't know. All I do know is the impact that it made. <laughs> right? And so with us, you don't have to wait for the feeling to catch up to you in order to do the right thing, said every mom who woke up in the middle of the night to go get that child and love that child. You don't have to feel it in order to respect authority as a child and listen to mom or dad or listen to that teacher or listen to that boss and do what they told you out of respect. 
You and I don't have to wait to feel it in order to do what someone else needs as we choose to love them versus just those warm fuzzies. You know, a Bible commentator, he put it this way. He said, love is a behavior. To, to love is to act, and anything short of action is really not love at all. But a final thing, as we want to love, as we want to be more and more like Jesus, it's then this, to, to remember that love is inspired in us as we keep looking at Jesus. You know, we have a way of commemorating the love of others. Uh, maybe you commemorate the love of your child as they uh, gave you an art piece from school, as they gave you something from Valentine's, you put it on the fridge and like, my kids love me, yeah. Maybe you did that in a relationship as you uh, maybe took some pictures of a day or of a vacation, and, and every time you go by, you're like, oh, wasn't that great, babe? Yeah. And as we commemorate and we think about the love of others, it leads us to love them again and again. For us who need to love like Jesus, let us keep our minds on all that he did for us. Keep our minds that he's still patient with us. Doesn't just go off the handle. Keep our minds that he's still filled with compassion every time you're hurting. One of the most powerful passages is Jesus wept. He, he's not a bully out to get you. He's the one weeping beside you as he cares. So remember that Jesus is the one who in action laid his life down. How is he feeling then? Probably pretty awful. But did he love you? Yes and amen. Keep looking at Jesus. And then commit to loving like him. Amen.